Good day and thank you for standing by. Welcome to the On Semiconductor fourth quarter 2023 earnings conference call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1-1 on your telephone. You will then hear an automated message advising your hand is raised. To withdraw your question, please press star 1-1 again. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. I would now like to hand the conference over to your host today, Parag Agarwal, Vice President of Corporate Development and Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Thank you, Liz. Good morning, and thank you for joining All Semi's fourth quarter 2023 quarterly results conference call. I'm joined today by Hassan Al Khori, our President and CEO, and Ted Perth, our CFO. This call is being webcast on the Investor Relations section of our website at www.onsemi.com. A replay of this webcast, along with our 2023 fourth quarter earnings release, will be available on our website approximately one hour following this conference call, and the recorded webcast will be available for approximately 30 days following this conference call. Additional information is posted on the Investor Relations section of our website. Our earnings release, release and this presentation includes certain non-GAAP financial measures. Reconciliation of these non-GAAP financial measures to the most directly comparable GAAP financial measures and a discussion of certain limitations when using non-GAAP financial measures are included in our earnings release, which is posted separately on our website in the Investor Relations section. During the course of this conference call, we'll make projections or other forward-looking statements regarding the future events or the future financial performance of the company. We wish to caution that such statements are subject to risks and uncertainties that could cause actual events or results to differ materially from projections. Important factors that can affect our business, including factors that could cause actual results to differ materially from our forward-looking statements, are described in our most recent Form 10-K, Form 10-Qs, and other filings with Securities and Exchange Commission, and in our earnings release for the fourth quarter of 2023. Our estimates or other forward-looking statements may change, and the company assumes no obligation to update forward-looking statements to reflect actual results, change assumptions, or other events that may occur, except as required by law. Now, let me turn it over to Hassan. Hassan. Thank you, Parag. Good morning, and thank you all for joining us on the call. We are pleased to share our results with you following another year of significant accomplishments as we continue transforming the company to achieve our long-term financial model. Our intelligent power and sensing technologies accounted for 71% of our revenue in 2023, compared to 62% in 2021, as we have driven our portfolio to strategic areas with higher gross margin. Our revenue from pure products in 2023 increased more than 40% over 22. Year-over-year, design win growth continues to outpace the long-term revenue growth target we outlined during our analyst day. We had a record year of automotive revenue, increasing 29% over 2022, driven by both intelligent power and sensing. We achieved our first billion-dollar revenue year for automotive image sensors, with design wins increasing more than 50% year-over-year, fueling our future growth with new products. 
It was a great year for silicon carbide. We shipped more than $800 million in 2023, or four times 2022 revenue. Our silicon carbide revenue had the highest growth in the industry, both in terms of dollars and percentage, in 2023, delivering an estimated 25% market share. We increased our customer base to more than 600 customers in 2023. Our top 10 customers are geographically distributed with over 50% in APAC, including Korea, followed by the U.S., and we expect to further diversify our customer base in 2024 as European customers ramp production. We continue to make progress on our transition to 200 millimeter with material already running through our manufacturing steps, and we announced the world's largest silicon carbide fab with our expansion in Buchan, South Korea. While market reports still project 30 to 40% growth for silicon carbide in 2024, OEM's latest EV plans indicate a more tapered growth signaling a sick market growth in the range of 20 to 30%. We still expect to grow at 2x the market growth in 2024 with customers ramping production in both industrial and automotive. Electrification remains a content expansion opportunity for us. Our broad portfolio of silicon carbide and IGBTs combined with our high power packaging solutions give us a competitive advantage across all levels of EVs ranging from HEV to PHEV and BEV. In fact, our 2023 hybrid vehicle-related revenue nearly doubled year-over-year, while the number of vehicles grew 30%. We have significant content gains across all XEVs, and specifically up to $350 of content in hybrid electric drivetrains and onboard chargers. We grow no matter which one gains traction, pun intended. OnSemi is number two in silicon power with best-in-class IGBT and MOSFET technologies. Our overall IGBT revenue nearly doubled over the last two years, driven by market share gains and further penetration in XEV and energy infrastructure. In automotive, OnSemi is number one in image sensors with 2023 revenue increasing more than 12% year-over-year, driven by the shift to higher-value 8-megapixel sensors as customers move to better performance options at higher ASPs. Eight megapixel image sensor revenue nearly doubled year over year, demonstrating the market trend toward higher resolution for ADAS systems. We're also number one in automotive LED lighting, inductive and ultrasonic sensing, and we plan to advance our leadership position with our upcoming analog and mixed signal platform. In industrial, we are number one in solar and energy storage solutions with our IGBTs, silicon carbide, and module portfolio, from commercial to utility-scale string inverters. Energy infrastructure is still our highest growth megatrend in industrial, where we continue to see demand for our hybrid modules with silicon and silicon carbide. In 2023, the International Energy Agency, or IEA, reported that the world's renewable energy surpassed 50% growth over 2022, its fastest rate in the past 25 years. Our revenue for energy infrastructure during the same period grew 60%. The IEA predicts that renewable energy is on course to increase by two and a half times by 2030. For EV chargers, we just released a full suite of Elite-SIC power integrated modules enabling bi-directional charging capabilities for DC ultra-fast electric vehicle chargers. 
our newly released modules can be used up to 350 kilowatts in EV chargers, the highest in the industry, to reduce charging time to 15 minutes for a near full charge. Our broad portfolio of products has enabled us to become a one-stop shop for our customers and the source for the most optimized solutions. It is critical for customers to extract the best performance for their system and using our portfolio to provide a system-level optimized solution across our power and sensing technologies remain a competitive advantage. We are also excited about our power opportunity to support the transition to 48 volt. We are already in production with a leading automotive customer on their new 48 volt architecture as we had already planned our portfolio for such a transition. Last year, we responded to the market uncertainty by focusing on our execution. As demonstrated, with more predictable and sustainable financial results, our worldwide teams delivered operational excellence in the face of challenging market conditions without losing sight of innovation to further our leadership position in intelligent power and sensing solutions. We are happy with the progress we've made in 2023, having built a resilient business model capable of performing in all market environments. We are now turning to the opportunities for operational improvements in 2024 to achieve our target financial model. In the near term, based on our current outlook and early LTSA signals, we expect continued softness across all end markets through a period of inventory digestion and slowing end demand. The bottom line is that we will weather 2024 with substantially better financial performance than in prior downturns. Meanwhile, we will continue to invest in extending our leading portfolio, and we will benefit disproportionately as the market recovers. With that, I'll turn it over to Thad to provide further details on our results. Thad? Thanks, Hassan. <clears throat> our ongoing transformation in 2023 delivered significant improvements towards our long-term financial model. Our ability to proactively navigate through the current cycle while delivering better results than ever in a downturn is a testament to the work our teams have accomplished over the last three years. Today, OnSemi is a different and more resilient company, having achieved 2023 non-GAAP gross margin of 47.1%, which is 1,440 basis points higher than 2020, the last year in which utilization was at comparable levels. We maintained revenue of $8.3 billion for the year, non-GAAP operating margin of 32.3%, and delivered $5.16 of non-GAAP earnings per share. For the year, we returned 140% of free cash flow to our shareholders through share repurchases, and we have $2.4 billion remaining on the buyback authorization we announced a year ago. For the fourth quarter, we reported revenue of $2.02 billion, non-GAAP gross margin of 46.7%, and non-GAAP earnings per share of $1.25, all above the midpoint of our guidance. Looking at the fourth quarter breakdown by end market, our automotive business of $1.1 billion grew 13% as compared to the quarter a year ago and declined 4% quarter over quarter in line with our expectations. Still, vehicle electrification and advanced safety features are driving upside as demonstrated by our record automotive revenue for image sensors in 2023. Our revenue for industrial was $497 million, down 10% versus Q4 2022, 
and down 19% sequentially as anticipated. All segments have been impacted by macroeconomic factors and slowdown in industrial activity. Our automotive and industrial revenue accounted for 80% of our business in 2023 as compared to 68% in 2022, following our strategy to shift to high growth megatrends for the sustainable ecosystem. In Q4, we exited another $30 million of non-core business, and for the full year, we exited $180 million. While we expected customers to find alternative options, the remaining non-core portions of our business are now healthy, nearing corporate gross margins, and demonstrating the power of our portfolio. Looking at the split between the operating units, revenue for the Power Solutions Group, or PSG, was $1.1 billion, an increase of 4% year-over-year due to an increase in silicon carbide revenue for auto and energy infrastructure. Revenue for the Advanced Solutions Group, or ASG, was $625 million, 11% decline year-over-year, driven by softness in compute and mobile in markets. Revenue for the Intelligent Sensing Group, or ISG, was $308 million, a 13% decrease year-over-year due to a decline in compute and industrial. In the fourth quarter, our gap and non-gap gross margin of 46.7% was above the midpoint of our guidance. Our gross margin exceeded expectations despite total utilization decreasing to 66% from 72% in Q3, further validating the structural changes we have implemented over the last three years. We should see the full impact of the decline in utilization materialize in Q1. At East Fishkill, we have already made progress by improving the overall cost structure of the FAB, making it 50 basis points less dilutive than expected in the fourth quarter. Based on our current outlook, we expect to hold our gross margin above the mid-40% floor with utilization in the mid-60% range. Silicon carbide gross margin also remained above 40% with high profit fall-through, and we expect to maintain these levels through 2024. Now let me give you some additional numbers for your models. Gap operating expenses for the fourth quarter were $330 million as compared to $316 million in the fourth quarter of 2022. Non-GAAP operating expenses were $306 million as compared to $300 million in the quarter a year ago. GAAP operating margin for the quarter was 30.3% and non-GAAP operating margin was 31.6%. Our GAAP tax rate was 7.8% and our non-GAAP tax rate was 15.4%. GAAP earnings per diluted share for the first qu- fourth quarter was $1.28 as compared to $1.35 in the quarter a year ago. Non-GAAP earnings per share was above the midpoint of our guidance at $1.25 as compared to $1.32 in Q4 of 2022. Our GAAP diluted share count was 440 million shares and our non-GAAP diluted share, share count was 434 million shares. In Q4, we were aggressive with our share repurchases and returned 136% of free cash flow to shareholders through $300 million of buybacks. Turning to the balance sheet, cash and cash equivalent was $2.5 billion and we had $1.1 billion undrawn on a revolver. Cash from operations was $611 million and free cash flow was $221 million or approximately 11% of revenue. 
Capital expenditures during Q4 were $391 million, which equates to a capital intensity of 19%. We expect 2024 capital intensity to be in the low teens for the full year, ahead of our original plan and driven by our improved silicon carbide manufacturing output on 150 millimeters. Inventory increased by $27 million sequentially and days increased by 13 days to 179. This includes approximately 74 days of bridge inventory to support fab transitions and the silicon carbide ramp. Excluding these strategic builds, our base inventory decreased $52 million sequentially with days of inventory at 105 days. We continue to proactively manage distribution inventory. DISD inventory was down $11 million sequentially with weeks of inventory at 7.2 weeks versus 6.9 weeks in Q3. We have been underserving the mass market through this channel while we focused on our LTSA commitments. We expect to replenish the channel in 2024 to service the long tail of customers and expect inventory to start to normalize with increasing inventory levels between seven and nine weeks over the next few quarters. Now let me provide you the key elements of our non-GAAP guidance for the first quarter. A table detailing our GAAP and non-GAAP guidance is provided in the press release related to our fourth quarter results. Given the current macro environment and our demand visibility, we anticipate Q1 revenue will be in the range of $1.8 billion to $1.9 billion with softness across all end markets. We expect non-GAAP gross margin to be between 44.5 and 46.5%, primarily due to lower factory utilization and continued EFK headwinds. Our Q1 non-GAAP gross margin includes share-based compensation of $5 million. We expect non-GAAP operating expenses of 305 to 320 million, including share-based compensation of $27 million. We anticipate our non-GAAP other income to be a net benefit of $8 million with our interest income exceeding interest expense. This benefit is a result of the debt restructuring activities we have completed over the last two years, reducing a significant historical drag on the P&L. We expect our non-GAAP tax rate to be in the range of 15.5 to 16.5%, and our non-GAAP diluted share count for the first quarter is expected to be approximately 433 million shares. This results in non-GAAP earnings per share to be in the range of $0.98 to $1.10. We expect capital expenditures of $310 to $340 million in brownfield investments, primarily in silicon carbide and EFK. As we navigate through 2024, we'll focus on operational excellence without losing sight of our long-term commitments to our customers and our shareholders. We remain perfectly positioned in the markets where we focus and continue to engage in long-term supply agreements with our strategic customers. We remain confident in our 53% long-term gross margin target as we execute our fab right strategy to optimize factory utilization and drive operational efficiencies across the company. With that, I'd like to start the Q&A, so I'll turn it over to Liz to open the line. As a reminder, to ask a question, you'll need to press star 1-1 on your telephone and wait for your name to be announced. To withdraw your question, please press star 1-1 again. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. 
Our first question comes from the line of Ross Seymour with Deutsche Bank. Hi guys, can you hear me? Yep. Yep. Great. First question is on the automotive side of things. I guess kind of two parts to it. The silicon carbide side, it sounds like there's a little bit of a difference between the third party estimates and what you're seeing from OEMs. And then last quarter, you talked about some weakness emerging in the tier one guys in Europe. Can you just give us an update on what you've seen on kind of that side of the business as well? Uh, sure. Uh, yeah, look, we started uh, uh, the year regarding the silicon carbide. You know, you know, all know what uh, uh, the third party estimates are. But when you look at customers, even public announced uh, outlook for 2024, uh, the outlook has been tapered down a little bit. Uh, from our side, however, you know, it's purely demand-driven. The platforms are qualified. Uh, the designs have been shipping. The question now is tied to uh, end demand, and that's why we're still very confident in 2x the market growth. The question is, what will the market uh, do in 2024 based on uh, the few announcements that have been made uh, but it's a demand-driven. We'll just tag on to demand. On, uh, and then the, uh, on the automotive in general, look, we saw uh, softness. I mentioned it in my prepared remarks. It is uh, inventory digestion, but it's also slowing demand. Uh, you see that in our, uh, in our guide as we work through it. But one thing for us as a very high priority is uh, managing the inventory internally and managing the inventory externally which means we have been taking utilization down in order to match what we believe the outlook is. And when the outlook recover, we'll get all of that as tailwinds. So that's the cautious approach we've had given the, the signals we've seen. And we've seen them kind of come in uh, as, you, as we've talked about since last quarter uh, because of the LTSAs are giving us that, that uh, outlook. Thanks for that. And I guess my follow-up for that on the gross margin side, it looks like you're going to hold the 45 floor you talked about before. Can you just walk us through the puts and takes as the year progresses? And, and perhaps how big of a headwind is the utilization if 65% is going to be the floor on the utilization side? Approximately how much of an impact is that versus uh, kind of the long-term target of getting back to 53%? Thank you. Yeah, Ross, um, you know, you're absolutely right. So we plan on, on holding that for, that mid-40% floor. We think utilization will bottom out around the mid-60s. Um, you know, we're pretty close to that now. And if you look at our margin today, you know, I think the company has executed very well, which really shows that our fab lighter strategy that we implemented two years ago has worked very effectively. And as we execute fab right, we'll continue to drive cost efficiency across across that network. What you should think about is every point of utilization is about 15 basis points of gross margin um, going both ways, up up and down. So you can kind of think about where we're there. We've proactively taken our utilization down. We started taking it down, you know, um, in uh, late 22. Um, and we're, you know, we're kind of at that point where we think we can manage through this uh, at this level. Thank you. Thanks, Ross. Our next question comes from the line of Vivek Arya with Bank of America. Uh, thanks for taking my question. Hassan, I'm curious, what do you think has helped you avoid some of the deeper 30, 40% kind of peak to trough correction that we uh, have seen at, at your 
you know, several of your uh, peers. And, and I think kind of related to that, uh, what we're all trying to grapple with, do you think Q1 is kind of the top? Because when I listen to Thad talking about utilization and that you're close to the bottom, that suggests Q1 is the top. But uh, uh, do you think of it uh, that way? And should we be modeling kind of seasonal um, recovery? So kind of two parts, you know, what has helped you avoid uh, some of the correction and, and, you know, from what you can see today is Q1 kind of the, the relative trough of this cycle for on semi. Uh, yeah, Vivek, uh, thanks for that question. Look, uh, if you think about what helped us navigate better than a lot of our, our peers, given the, the guide of, of companies that guided already, and like you mentioned, 20, 30%, is really the fact that, you know, we talked about the LTSAs. We talked about how at a minimum, the LTSAs are going to provide us a phone call when things start uh, getting softer. Uh, those phone calls started happening in industrial before anyone uh, uh, talked about industrial softness. I'm talking six quarters ago. That's when we started taking utilization down. That's when we tightened even more what we ship into the channel to be way closely tied to uh, what we believe the demand is at that point in time. Uh, the other thing in automotive, you know, we talked about it in our Q3 uh, earnings over 90 days ago when we talked about we started to see signs because we started getting the calls uh, about the LTSAs and customers wanting to uh, get some relief on, on the volume. So those are the tools that we have implemented over the last few years in order to give us that visibility. But it's not, you know, we, it, the LTSAs are not going to solve a demand uh, uh, problem. What LTSAs have done is allowed us to prepare what we do in response to a softer demand environment and you've seen we put a tight management on this T uh, inventory. It didn't bubble, bubble up. Uh, we've actually reduced our uh, uh, utilization. We've reduced our base inventory in dollars. All of these are sign of the resiliency we have in our model, which, by the way, all of them will be uh, tailwinds on the other side of, uh, of that. Now, as far as do we what we believe the trough is Q1 or not, look, I'm, I'm – I'm smart enough not to call a bottom until I'm standing on top of the hill looking back at it. So I'll let you know when, when that happens. On uh, silicon carbide, uh, could you help give us some sense of what it was in uh, Q4, um, you know, what the auto industrial mix is, uh, what's the implied for uh, Q1, and why tied to a market uh, rate? You know, why not? Uh, in, in the past, you have given us very, you know, specific and absolute numbers because, you know, you had those supply agreements. So why not give an absolute number? Why tied to, um, you know, to a market uh, rate? So just any more uh, quantification of what Silicon Carbide did in Q4, what the implied is for Q1, and then, um, you know, kind of an absolute number uh, for this year instead of giving, uh, tying it to a market rate. Yeah, uh, so I'll first cover on in Q4, our revenue for silicon carbide went up as we uh, uh, discussed in the Q3 call and as uh, we expected. So it came in line with our expectation. Again, it grew from Q3 to Q4. Uh, so that shows, you know, both the diversification and the strength in, in that uh, business that will also remain in 2024 with the growth we're going to see in 2024. Now, the reason we don't talk about absolute numbers is it is a ramping business and it is a 
the lumpiness of a very new ramping business is going to be in silicon carbide like it is with any uh, ramping business that is tied to adoption that's the reason we went to 2x market and by the way it is what we pecked to at our analyst day so we're, we didn't really change what we do we changed the short term more on the long term we've always said we're going to outgrow the market we're going to be 2x the market that is our trajectory for the next five years uh, that we discussed in analyst day and my comments are we will remain committed to that trajectory based on the design ends we have and as i mentioned in you know ross's question all the design ends are done all the shipments have been made uh, to for the ramp to start with a very broad range of customers the question remains what is end demand going to do and if end demand is better than what we're forecasting, we're going to grow better than what we forecast at 2x the market. That's where I would leave kind of the, uh, I'm going to call it the short term, which is 2024. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Chris Danley with City. Hello? Hello. Yep. Right here, Chris. All right, I got cut off for a second. Uh, I don't know. Um, anyway, so uh, just a few uh, clarifications on the silicon carbide business. Do you still expect to have one uh, major customer this year that's, say, 30 40% of revenue? And then have your um, pricing expectations for silicon carbide changed for this year versus, say, three to six months ago? Uh, let me cover the pricing uh, one because it's easier. Uh, pricing has not uh, changed. As we've always discussed, you know, our pricing is uh, tied to the LTSAs, although we will discuss with customers on uh, volume changes depending on, on ramps uh, uh, or end market, as I discussed earlier. Uh, pricing is uh, consistent. Therefore, I'm not seeing any, any of the, the pricing impact uh, other than, you know, the efficiencies that we get in our as we improve yields, as we uh, uh, transfer technologies, et cetera. Those are very tied to uh, technology advancements that actually enhance uh, our gross margin. Uh, so that's on that. As far as uh, customer concentration, I, uh, we will remain with uh, a few handful of lead customers. Uh, that's not going to be any different from 2023. However, as a percent, we're going to see more diversification uh, as we ramp more uh, customers uh, across across the uh, worldwide, both in uh, Asia and North America, and you're going to start seeing Europe ramp up in the second half of the year from design wins we've done over the last couple of years. So we will remain with a uh, profile of having you know key customers. I won't discuss percentage of of uh, revenue for each, uh, but it will just keep diversifying as we predicted in uh, you know the Q3 call. Great, thanks, Hassan. And for my follow-up, um, can you just talk a little bit more about your uh, trends and overall expectations for the big two end markets, uh, automotive and industrial? Uh, do you, which which one would you expect to start to recover sooner, and and do you think that either of them can get much worse from here? Maybe just give us a sense of your confidence in in both the markets relative, <laughs> or lack thereof. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm laughing. Look, I, I can only manage and comment of what we see. 
uh, and therefore what we see is kind of that uh, uh, in, in inventory digestion and uh, uh, softer end demand. Uh, therefore, that's what we're managing to. You know, I've been very consistent over the last almost two quarters that we're going to manage 2024 as there is no recovery per se. Uh, and then if there is one, we'll just take advantage of it and it will become a tailwind across all uh, financial metrics. You know, margin goes up with utilization, revenue goes up, et cetera. So that's how we're going uh, to manage. Now, what I will say, though, is both of these markets, auto and industrial, you know, two of the largest markets that we have, uh, we've been, we saw the softness, I would say, even ahead of a lot of our peers. You know, as I mentioned, we talked about automotive softness in the Q3 quarter. We talked about industrial softness in Q4 22 uh, quarter. So we're, we've seen it. We've managed to it. We've done very well managing to it. And we're going to keep managing to the signals we can control and we can see. And then when they start recovering, we'll take advantage of it as well. But one thing for sure, we're not sitting here ignoring it, just keeping utilization artificially high, hoping for a recovery. And if it doesn't come, then the, you know, the correction is much uh, harder, which you've seen with some of our peers. We're taking a much more uh, disciplined approach as far as uh, how we address our markets. And, and Chris, to give you a little more uh, color on the Q1 for auto and industrial, we expect both of those in markets to be down kind of high single digits uh, quarter on quarter in Q1. So we're not seeing a recovery of either one of them yet. Great. Thanks, guys. Our next question comes from the line of Toshia Hari with Goldman Sachs. Hello. Can you hear me? Nope, oh, sorry about that. Um, yeah, I had two as well. Thank you for taking the question. Um, Hassan, in your prepared remarks, you, you talked about your automotive image sensor business, I, I think, hitting or exceeding a billion dollars in, in 23. Um, you also talked about design wins being up 50% year over year. Um, how are you thinking about that business specifically in 24? And um, can you speak to the profitability of that business as you continue to uh, insource more than in the past? Yeah, uh, look, the business, uh, given that the business is tied to auto and industrial, over 90% of our revenue in uh, uh, image sensor is auto and industrial. That has been a very active, uh, trans really, transition over the last few years, moving our capacity to uh, auto and industrial, where a lot of the growth has been away from, you know, the consumer and the webcams and all of that. So that transition is, is behind us. Therefore, what I'm seeing from a financial performance uh, the margin uh, performance is much better than it's ever been. Uh, it's higher than the uh, uh, corporate uh, average, so it is actually accretive. And uh, uh, profitability is in, uh, uh, I would say, around uh, the corporate. As we maintain OPEX in that business and invest in innovation like the 8 megapixels and the FAB transfers, as far as uh, the mixed change from outside to inside, that's more of a longer term. Uh, we sampled our uh, products out of East Fishkill, uh, but until that ramps and becomes a meaningful uh, percent of revenue, you're not gonna see an impact on uh, margin from a mixed change to an internal sourcing. But that will be part of our, call it outlook, as we get to the 53% uh, margin model for the company. That will be a contributor. That's great. Thank you. And then as my follow-up, um, 
that's kind of where I wanted to go. Uh, long-term gross margins, um, maybe for Thad. Uh, so you're reiterating the 53% uh, medium to long-term. Uh, in, in the past, you've talked about the Thad divestitures uh, contributing to to uh, gross margin expansion. Uh, you talked a little bit about EFK. Um, I think SIC should normalize, and you've got utilization rates uh, hopefully um, marching higher over time. Um, I, I guess my question is, in the 2027 model, the revenue assumption was somewhere in the 13 billion plus to, to maybe 14 and a half billion range. Do you need to get to those revenue levels to hit 53% gross margin, or do you, you know, do, do you think you can you can hit those levels uh, even at a significantly lower revenue um, level, given the progress you've made on on multiple fronts? Thank you. Yeah, associates that. Um, look, I, I don't think the march to the 53% gross margin is revenue dependent. Um, clearly, we've got a tailwind as we crank up utilization as the market uh, normalizes and recovers in the outer years. Um, but we don't look at it, given our current manufacturing footprint, we don't look at that as the primary driver being revenue. You, you nailed it, right? It's the utilization. It's the uh, the EFK, getting that cost under control. It's the monetization of the uh, divested fabs that we divested in, in 2022. And then it's the ramping of these new products that are accretive to gross margins. Um, all of that will give us the tailwind that gets us there. Um, clearly, we've, we've got to have some growth from here, but we don't need to have that, uh, that growth that you talked about. So we look at it much more as internally controlled uh, of what we can execute to uh, versus a demand-driven, revenue-driven number. Thank you. Our next question will come from the line of Gary Mobley with Wells Fargo. Hi, guys. Can you hear me? Yep. yep. All right. Sorry, the operator keeps cutting out, I guess, for everybody. Um, Thad, you mentioned that, uh, I, I believe you mentioned that Q1 represents the bottom for utilization, manufacturing utilization for the year. And given that we've seen your inventory increase in days for four consecutive quarters, should we read into that as, as if you're also saying that Q1 represents the bottom for the fiscal year for revenue? No, I, look, I think Hassan answered that earlier. We're not, we're not calling a bottom here. Um, in terms of utilization, we think we're going to be in this kind of mid-60% range until we normalize, the market normalizes and starts to return to, uh, to the levels that we saw you know, earlier in the year and in 2022. Um, so utilization will kind of stay at this level. In terms of inventory, if you look at what we've been doing, we've actually been growing what we call our strategic inventory, silicon carbide and the fab transition. If you look at the inventory, what, what I call our working inventory or base inventory, it was actually down $52 million sequentially. Days were up just because of the, uh, the COGS number was a lower number, but we've been managing that very effectively and kind of in a, in a good tight range here. I expect as we go through the, the year, we'll build a little bit more of the strategic inventory uh, in terms of dollars, but uh, you know we'll burn that off over a multi-year period. That's always been in our plan as we uh, exit those fabs and uh, and start to bring that that production into our internal fabs. So we're actually, in terms of base inventory, we're happy where we are. That's helpful, Dan. Um, for you, Hassan, I know that you began to highlight your analog and mixed signal platforms at your May analyst day. I believe that was maybe the first time that you were really 
vocal on it, and maybe if you can give us a, an idea of, of where that ramp stands, how material can it be as we look through the balance of fiscal year 24 or maybe even into fiscal year 25. Yeah, uh, so look, the fact that I, I'm highlighting it in my prepared remarks tells you how uh, excited I am about the progress that we've made with a, with a brand new uh, uh, platform. So as far as uh, technology development, technology development is, is actually on track, a little bit ahead of schedule as far as products uh, are concerned. We've already taped out uh, a few of our lead products. Uh, we will be sampling here in early 24. And then obviously there's a design uh, cycle before you get to revenue. So from all leading indicators of one, uh, the competitiveness of the platform and two, the competitiveness of the products and the adoptions that I see from early adoption that I see from customers, all of those are at or ahead where we thought that technology will will get us. Uh, we'll hear you'll hear more about it uh, as we get through 2024 about what that technology platform is. But I will tell you, it is the most competitive uh, uh, mixed signal analog platform that exists in the market today, and it will carry with it products that are highly synergistic with what we do on. Uh, uh, the power side of it. So very complementary drivers, controllers, as Sudhir mentioned in Analyst Day. So we remain on track. I'm more bullish than I was when we did Analyst Day, given the progress, and we will continue to push forward uh, through 2024. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question will come from the line of Joshua Bukalter with TD Cowan. Hey guys, thank you for taking my question and good morning. Um, I want to follow up on an earlier question. You know, I think the conventional view is that silicon carbide is constrained and, and your and some of your, a lot of your peer commentary seems to be of shifting into more demand focus right now. Um, I guess to ask it simply, do you still view silicon carbide as constrained and, and given we are moving towards more demand signals now, how are you managing investment levels uh, given all the, the efforts and, and long lead times that a lot of your vertical integration efforts take? Thank you. Yeah, from a from a supply, if you look at you know a lot of the the fabs and the capacity that the whole industry has has talked about versus a trajectory of growth for uh, electrification in general, uh, I do believe a uh, uh, that that technology will remain constrained. Now, of course, in the in the short term, capacity for 2024 to a first order is is uh, put in place, so it is a uh, demand driven. But that goes back to the lumpiness of. Uh, of, of the ramp that we've always talked about. So I don't see that as, you know, additional capacity or overcapacity, given that it is temporary in nature and the growth is going to remain. The way we are managing it, of course, is uh, a, a lot of it is internally uh, driven. You know, majority of our uh, uh, substrate, majority of our uh, uh, supply is uh, generated internally, and we modulate that as we convert to 8-inch. You know, we talked about taking utilization down uh, in the last quarter's uh, earning utilization or uh, sorry, the capacity capital intensity will be down in uh, 2024. And that's because we've been performing better on our six inch and therefore we're able to ramp eight inch faster than we originally expected. So we're going to modulate this internal external uh, supply in order to tag on to what we see as a demand signal. So we don't see a, a underloading be above and beyond what you see in the in the company, and we'll manage it that way, because 
revenue is going to recover. Uh, EVs are going to keep growing. Whether it's 20 to 30, 30 to 40, it doesn't matter. It's going to grow, and it's a multi-decade growth, given that the penetration of silicon carbide in EVs is still below 25%, and EVs in general are below 25%. A lot of upside in that business. It does not change our outlook for the mega trend, and we will continue to uh, invest in the long term. And, and Josh, for the investments over the long term, we can modulate our investments very easily because we have a capital light strategy of converting from 6-inch to 8-inch. Our fabs are already 8-inch capable. So as we think about substrates, we can convert slowly um, versus having to go out and do greenfield investments of a new fab, new, new facility, and having to bring that up. So as the as the market takes off, we can modulate our investments uh, correspondingly, kind of at a, an equal basis, depending on what's happening, and, and move very quickly to bring on capacity if needed. Got to thank you. There's a lot of helpful context there. Um, as my follow-up, I, I believe in the prepared remarks, you mentioned that at some point in 2024, you were going to look to uh, refill the channel. Could you maybe provide some context of, of what signals you would need to see to, for, uh, to to go ahead and do that? I know you mentioned you're not planning on a recovery, but is a recovery needed um, to, to get you to refill the channel? And I guess how much of a revenue tailwind would you expect that to be? Thank you. Yeah, in the prepared remarks, I said we're going to re- start replenishing seven and nine weeks. You know, we're at 7.2 this, this quarter. Um, we need to start filling that channel now. Um, we're, we're underserving that mass market. So if you look over the last few years, we were supply constraint, so we starved the long tail. And then we focused on our, our strategic LTSA customers and, again, continue to starve that long tail. So we do need to start replenishing that. <clears throat> I think, you know, for the first quarter, you may say you may see us go up, you know, in terms of weeks, go up, uh, you know, a, a week plus or minus. But keep in mind, on this revenue basis, it's brought likely down in terms of dollars, right? But we're going to be thinking about it that way. Is we're, we've got to actually start moving inventory into that channel to support that longer tail. So you think about all those customers, that broad set of customers, industrial through the catalog. We have not been servicing them well. Um, our distributors have been putting orders on us. They, they actually want to hold more inventory than what we've allowed them to hold. So we've got to start replenishing that. But we don't see a, a big step function here as much as just a gradual increase uh, over the course of several quarters. Thank you, Dad. Our next question will come from the line of Christopher Rowland with Susquehanna. Hey guys, thanks for the question. Um, can can you guys talk about your overall levels of LTSAs, uh, and then if you can, double click into sick LTSAs. I think you've given industrial in the past as well. Anything there, and then the update on the sick customer from last quarter. Did they come back, and did you fill them this quarter? Or what are your expectations there? Thank you. Yeah, so our LTSAs for the next twelve months, the value is uh, four point eight billion dollars. The breakdown of what that looks like roughly is about 80% auto, you know, um, about 17% uh, industrial, and the rest kind of in that other bucket. Um, so that gives us that that view over the over the next 12 months of the LTSA coverage. Yeah, as far as you know, look, I don't want to comment about uh, specific customers, but it came exactly as we guided uh, last uh, quarter, and overall uh, it came higher than Q3. So 
uh, we said last time that we'll keep ramping, we'll keep ramping through 24, and that's coming in exactly as uh, we expected. So that temporary, I would say, demand signal that impacted Q4 is behind us, and uh, we're moving forward with uh, with a ramp. Uh, Great. Thank you. Um, in, in terms of uh, your non-core um, customers, uh, if you could update us there, uh, are, are, are we done with that at this point? Uh, do you keep any remaining? Um, any any other thoughts there would be great. Yeah, Chris, you know, when we rolled this out, we thought we would exit somewhere between 800 and 900 million dollars uh, over a multi-year period. And as you know, we have uh, we've overcalled this for a couple of years now. Um, I think that gives you an indication of the value that we bring to these customers. So for the year, we exited $180 million, uh, you know, think about over the multi-year periods, about $475 million. What's remaining is good, healthy business, you know, at the corporate average. So as we've said, at this point, if our customers haven't found another source, we're just going to consider this good business as long as we don't need that capacity. So, uh, so we'll continue to support those customers. Those customers are, are valuing that um, and valuing our ability to support them because we, we provide them many products, not just these, these products we're talking about. So, um, so we're not going to talk about exits any further. It'll just be in our baseline. Perfect. Thank you, Todd. Our next question will come from the line of Quinn Bolton with Needham. Hey guys, thanks for uh, taking my questions. First for Hassan, you mentioned uh, the diversification of the silicon carbide business in Asia, and I think you specifically called out Korea, um, US, and, and then Europe. Just wondering if you could comment, how do you feel positioned in China, both with the battery electric vehicles and, and the hybrids? Yeah, we're uh, actually our position in China is, is uh, we're very well positioned. I think last quarter we talked about having LTSAs with four of the top five uh, China OEMs, uh, you know, both qualified and uh, ramping uh, revenue. Uh, but again, it, it's tied to uh, uh, the end-demand commentary I put before. So all our ducks in a row as far as the uh, platforms, the qualification on these platforms, the early ramps on these platforms, uh, that's both SIC and IGBT, as I mentioned. Both are seeing uh, the growth on electrification in general, all flavors of electrification. Uh, but we feel pretty good about uh, uh, our our success and our exposure in uh, China for EV. And that's, by the way, uh, I would uh, extend that to the industrial side of it with energy storage is the same commentary uh, with our engagement with the OEMs. A lot of them are, are based in China. Got it. Thank you for that. And then, uh, just a question on the utilization rates. Um, what, what gives you the confidence that the utilizations will sort of hold in the mid-60s? Obviously, kind of an uncertain demand environment. Inventory needs to be reduced. Is it just the, the visibility the LTSAs give you? Is it the fact that, you know, you've been able to reduce um, sort of normal inventory by by 50 million at this utilization rate? Just, you know, how, how, do, you, how do you feel confident holding the line there on utilization? Thanks. Yeah, it's exactly that. I mean, we, we get visibility through the, the LTSAs, but more importantly is, you know, we've been managing that base inventory. It's down at a working level. We, we have not, we haven't over, over uh, shipped to our DISTs. We've kept our working base inventory at optimal levels here. And so as we look forward, you know, in the current market dynamics, 
we feel like we can hold that that mid 60 just because of where we are in an inventory position. We don't need to take it lower if, because we're not over inventoried anywhere. And the fact that we've got to start shipping into the into the channel to support that mass market, you know, we're going to have to build some products for that as well. Um, and that's that broad based product line, not not uh, something specific to silicon carbide. So that's what gives us the confidence of where we are here, um, given the, the current market dynamics. Got it. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question will come from the line of Joseph Moore with Morgan Stanley. Great, thank you. Um, you know, you guys have talked about some automotive deceleration and are running the business conservatively. But when I look at your automotive revenue, you know, you were down low single digits sequentially in Q4. Um, you're still up double digits year on year, which is kind of, you know, there's a gamut of companies guiding for for a bunch of different. Um, kind of views of autos, but everybody's kind of in that same ballpark. So maybe could you talk to, you know, to, to the year-on-year growth, how much of that is silicon carbide, you know, increment, you know, silicon carbide minus the IGBTs it replaces, and how much of that is just general autos? And just, you know, it seems like the numbers are, are a little bit better than maybe your conservatism would, would imply. I'm trying to tie all the... So what we... I guess in general, if you take out uh, silicon carbide, uh, the silicon business uh, declined. I, I guess that's the at a, at a high level, the silicon business declined. If we look at the amount of decline, it declined with what the expected market declined based on the early reports that I'm starting to see uh, uh, in general. So I don't think our, our business is, is an outlier from the market. It may be an outlier for what some of our peers and some what others have, have uh, said. Uh, but for us, we're tied more to market because we've been taking a very uh, disciplined approach about what to ship based on the LTSAs and uh, the discussions we've had with the customers that have been ongoing. So I think we feel we feel pretty good about our response to demand signals being pretty quick as far as taking you know utilization down in response to it and making sure we don't build inventory in the channel in response to it or or at the direct customers. As a matter of fact, so between these two. I think I think it, automotive came in line, uh, except you know a few of the strengths and pockets like uh, we talked about in uh, image sensor, which is a content uh, growth and an ASP growth uh, approach here. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Thank you. Our next question will come from the line of Harsh Kumar with Piper Sandler. Yeah, hey guys, uh, gents. First of all, congratulations on doing a lot better than it appears. But but it, but I am giving you a loaded compliment because other companies are guiding down 10 to 20 percent on a sequential basis. You're guiding down a lot smaller. Do you think you're cutting enough? In other words, why not go ahead and cut a lot more? Um, and then part two of the question is: Assuming demand stays at this level, and we know that you know we don't know where the demand will go. But at this 65-something percent utilization, how many quarters of excess inventory do you think you might have? Yeah. Uh, look, I'll, I'll, I'll cover the first one and then uh, a little bit on, on the second question. Look, it's not a matter of did we cut enough and did we do enough. It's We are guiding based on our level of uh, uh, visibility and based on our very close engagement with the customers. Uh, where we guided is where we believe, and you know, 
based on uh, the quarter progression where we believe the customers need uh, from us. Uh, so it is a demand-driven uh, signal. Now, the difference between you know, our smaller reduction in the first quarter versus uh, some of the larger reductions from some of our peers is historical. You know, we've been tapering down a lot of our, uh, uh, what we ship to customers, and we believe we've been closer and more in line with demand that our customers need versus some of our peers that don't have that same visibility levels with whatever construct they have on uh, 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 whether LTSAs or, or, you know, similar programs. We believe the LTSAs gave us that visibility. We have been engaged with customers earlier than most of our peers, and we believe we have been closer to what a real demand signal is, and therefore changes to demand signals are not as drastic as uh, with some of our peers. So when we talk about our guide is better than some of our peers, I think our business and where we are with our business, uh, we put ourselves in a much better position than some of our peers. And you can see that, by the way, not just on the revenue. You can see that on our utilization. You can see that on our base inventory. You can see that on our channel inventory. All of these are better and show better discipline than some of our peers that had a much larger correction. So we don't see this as a quote-unquote correction. What we see it is a, uh, a view and a transparent view of what we believe demand is going to do in the first quarter. Yeah, and Harsh, on the, the utilization, just to remind you, we started taking utilization down in Q3 of 2022, as we saw softness and industrial at that time. So if you look at our base inventory, we've managed it very effectively. Um, we've, we've, if you really think about utilization, it's been a soft landing in terms of utilization. We weren't in a position where we got over inventory, too much inventory in the channel and had to take it down hard. So at these levels, it's what gives us confidence that uh, this mid-60 that, that we can hold here. Understood, guys, very helpful. And then as my follow-up, um, Hassan, should I think of your silicon carbide business as having a starting point of about a billion dollars in 2024, because that, that capacity, I believe, that came on, the $200 million was, I, from my understanding, reallocated to other customers. And then part two of the question is, you made a very subtle but I think important comment that something to the tune of you're already running 200 millimeter silicon carbide in the fabs or maybe on trailer. Could you just expand on that? Yeah. Uh, so, look, I'm not going to give a, an absolute guide on uh, silicon carbide. I, what I would say is 2x the market. We feel comfortable with 2x the market, given all of the platforms and given the, the customers and, and the ramps that we've seen. The question now is on uh, uh, end demand, uh, but end demand is better, we're gonna grow better. End demand is where uh, we believe it is, we're gonna grow at that, but it will be 2X the market, and that's showing uh, both an aggressive ramp and share gains. So that's on, on the outlook for 2024. As far as the 200 millimeter, uh, this one, it was, it was more, I would say, I thought it was a more a direct comment because what we've always said is we're going to qualify 200 millimeter in 2024 and ramp in 2025. So my prepared remarks is purely highlighting the fact we are on track to achieve uh, uh, that goal that we set out, which is qualifying in 24, ramp in, uh, revenue ramp in 25. Uh, it's already running in the fab, which is a pretty good leading indicator of where our qual and our confidence in the qual is going to be in 24. Very helpful, guys. Thank you.
That concludes today's question and answer session. I'd like to turn the call back to Hassan El-Khoury for closing remarks. Through the structural changes we've made over the last three years, uh, we've built the resilience required in our business to navigate a dynamic macro environment. We've remained close to our customers. We are committed to our financial target model with our strategy of enabling the sustainable ecosystem. Again, we'd like to thank our worldwide teams for their continued tenacity and ongoing contributions to the company's success. And thank you for joining our call today. This concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect.